0: we are in second samuel we're in chapter 11 and 12 if you are someone who likes to have the pages in front of you don't worry i am not about to read two chapters because that will definitely take my remaining time and we're in this really interesting story of a journey that David goes. It's a journey that sees David go down and down and down and down the spiral with one wrong reaction and one wrong action to cover another, to cover another, to cover another. Which may sound familiar for some of us who too have been down the odd spiral of, um, of wrong stuff, of, of giving in to temptation, but with God, there's hope. We can find ourselves right at the bottom of um, the pits of our own making. Let's put it that way. And it's a dark place down there. We lose perspective. We feel trapped. Can anybody? I know it's a bit heavy, isn't it, for a Sunday night, but it was heavy for David. It was a difficult and a dark journey for him to go on. But with God, there's hope. And what we find in the story is that God is just incredibly good at giving us opportunities get out of the pits of our own making and other people's making and um, and this is no different and we find David turned around. So let's go on it together, let's um, go on this journey together and see what we can learn. So we find David in a place where, you know, arguably he shouldn't have been. I don't believe that this is the first step on his downward spiral but I think it makes them very vulnerable to temptation and what this tells us at the beginning of chapter 11 is that at the time when kings go off to war King David is having an afternoon nap so (laughs) he's let's, let's put ourselves in David's shoes I mean or on his bed if you like and we're thinking do you know they're fine everything's fine they don't need me Everything's great. I've got a great army. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't need me. I think I'll just sleep this one out. I think I'll just take some time (laughs) off. I think I'll just have a holiday. And you can feel the kind of fake complacency. That's what complacency does, doesn't it? It just gives us this kind of slightly false, everything's fine. And it's not that we should live in a place of constant tension and worry, but it's that we need to live in a place of wisdom. And that means that we know our own temptations, we know our own failings, we know the things we're still struggling with and we're aware of them. So we're a little bit on guard, antennae up, so we can catch God's warnings and we kind of try to not put ourselves in vulnerable positions. But here we find David very much putting himself in a vulnerable position. And here we are in verse 2, late one afternoon after he'd had that sleep. David gets out of bed and is walking on the roof of the palace. Now, if you've uh, seen a model of Jerusalem or had the pleasure of going, you'll know that the city of David is on a steep hill going downward and the very top building is the palace. And the very top of the palace is the roof. So David has the best vantage point over all the little houses going down through the valley. Can you see that? So he's got great vantage. And here he is on the roof, he looks out over the city and he sees a woman of unusual beauty. And she's washing or having a bath. Now, where is she? I'm very interested for you to tell me where you think Bathsheba was. Just shout it out, because on the, the r- roof. Does it say she was on the roof? I thought she was on the roof. The no, David is on the roof of the palace. He looks out over the city and he notices a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. There's nothing in here that says that Bathsheba was on the roof. But some of us Christians in the room might have been taught that she was on the roof. But let's get rid of that, because there's nothing to suggest that. In fact, it would have been very uncultural that anybody would have been taking a bath on a rooftop in a city where there are people situated above you who would see you. This is a Jewish city run by a Jewish king who's following the law. And Bathsheba's no different. We find a woman who's following the rituals of the law. She's a being obedient. There's nothing to say she was on a roof. And in fact, the word there used was much more likely to indicate that she was washing her hands and feet more than she was fully immersed in water. And even if she was fully immersed in water, culturally she's probably wearing something. So I just want us to correct some of that wrong teaching that I believed as well, that she was some temptress naked on a rooftop. It's not true, it's certainly not indicated in here. And interestingly enough, God places no blame at Bathsheba as our story goes on, and neither does David. So, raised by a feminist, can you tell? Let's just make sure we get the right picture here of David. he goes sends some people to find out who she is, and she he gets the information that she is the doctor of a guy who is actually pretty much a family friend. And she is the wife of one of his faithful guys who's off in the war that he should have been off in himself. But he sends for her. Now, you know about the moment of choice. Do you know those moments where they can be very, very fast where they can they can be a bit longer, but we know we've got a choice to make. We can feel the temptation off the great big chocolate cake when we're trying to lose weight. We can feel the temptation off, the temptation off, and we have this moment of choice. David has an incredibly long moment of choice. Not only has he got all the time to think about what he's doing, to send for her and to sleep for her would be to commit adultery and basically condemn her to stoning, to execution. He'd be fine, he's okay. kid. And all the time that he'd go and find out who she is and then they'd go and get her. I mean, we're talking probably at least half an hour, if not longer. He's a very long moment of choice and I, I kind of call this the hovering on the top step of the spiral staircase down the way. Because he could still have changed his mind, but Sheba turns up with the guard. She has no choice. Do you know in all the records of women in the Bible that are sent for by powerful men, there isn't one record of a woman struggling? Because what would be the point? I mean, seriously, you've got to think of the culture these women were living in. But she didn't have a choice. It's still rapes. She still has to just do what she's told. And it's, um, it's just the society that they were living in. But when he does take her and sleep with her, he tumbles down this first set of the staircase. I and mean, this isn't a one-step wrongdoing, is it? This is a full-on down at the first landing. And the temptation for David isn't so much a woman. He's got lots of wives, and I suspect they were all picked for how beautiful they were. And it isn't sex, because he's got lots of wives, and they're all on call. <clears throat> but it's power. It's because he can. And remember who David was, he had no power. The only power David had was over the sheep, right? He was the youngest son of a big family of boys. And he was just a shepherd. Every ounce of power that David has is given to him by God. And David only gets to keep it because of how well David and God work together. They're a team. And I think David's temptation was just this independent power, I gotta do something. And it isn't me and God, it's just me. And that was his temptation and that's what he fell for. Because he could. James chapter 1 verse verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Anybody know that feeling? I know I do. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And that's certainly what David sees what he experiences on this journey. So, it gets worse. As Sheba is pregnant, and she I think she's really brave to send this message to say, I'm pregnant, and we both know whose kid this is. But on the other hand, I also have a little bit of admiration, we see a little bit of the real David here for a moment, because he could have denied it and sent her to execution. He couldn't he? And everyone, who's gonna argue with him? But there's some of the real David is in there and he wants to try and make things right. He doesn't want the Sheba to have to suffer. And so he calls back her husband. Some of you know the story, so some of us might not, so I'll just go through. He calls back her husband and essentially, he tries to get her husband to go home and sleep with his wife so that the sin will be covered up. My wee question for David here was, why couldn't he just be honest with the man? just sit and and say to him, I have messed up really badly and I need your help. I mean, in some ways that would have been better for Bathsheba. She would have at least had her own husband, but I won't tarry there because that's not what happened. When the faithful soldier would not go back because why should I get to go back to the comfort of my own bed when my fellow soldiers are right there sleeping in the fields? No, I will stay here and I'll stay here with the guys at the palace. And he wouldn't do it because he's such a good man. (laughs) So David sends him off and gives the instructions to place him in a battlefront that he would never be able to win. But think about it for a minute. Was he sent alone to the battlefront? So it's not just Bathsheba's husband, who God later tells David he murdered, but actually it's a whole lot of other guys who should never have been in that position. Makes you think, doesn't it? So, where am I in me, page? That's him going down and down and down and down. And the interesting thing about when we do one wrong thing to cover or another wrong thing to cover is, and we go down and down, is we lose the light. We lose our perspective and we start to lose our kind of understanding even of how we manage to get ourselves here. And we will miss, in that journey, it's very common for us, For the the voice, if you like, of the temptation or covering it all up to be louder than the voice of God in our lives. And this is David, David, King David, and God had a good relationship. This was a guy who could hear God. It's evident in all of his songs and everything that he did. He could understand God, but he couldn't hear Him in this circumstance because he had distanced himself so far from Him. And so God sends a prophet, a man who could hear God and pass on the messages. He sends him a story. Now the little point about the story that the prophet brings is that the metaphor used to represent Bathsheba is an innocent lamb. So another little confirmation from God that Bathsheba really is innocent in this process. As David listens to the story, you see, when God sends us stories, think about the kind of stories he sends us. Well, we've got Jesus never taught without a parable, that's a story. But we've got all the times as well that we might get a dream or a vision, or we're watching a bit of, ever watched a bit of a movie or a bit of TV, and the scene makes you think of something in your own life or someone else's life, and you kind of go, oh. Because the story lets us see an objective perspective. It makes us think, and that's what happens for David. He listens to this story, and he thinks it's actually happened, that a king has stolen an innocent lamb from a man who loved the lamb. And he could have had any of his lambs, but he steals another man's lamb. And he goes, oh, this guy should be put to death. (laughs) A clear, fresh perspective. So when the prophet says, you were the guy in the story, he goes, against you I have sinned. And he sees, and that's what stories do. Job 33 says it like this. Verse 14, for God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams and in visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people. In verse 17, he makes us turn from doing wrong. He keeps us from the pit, from our pride. I love that. I love that promise because that's what these stories do. This is God going, hang on a minute, stop! (laughs) Can you see what's happening here? And he tries to turn us around. So, when David sees it, God makes it plain for him. God says to him through the prophet, I anointed you as king, saved you from the power of Saul, the previous king. I gave you his house, his wife's, Israel, Judah, and if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much more. Why have you done this? And then he makes it clear. You murdered Uriah the Hittite, and you stole his wife. So that was pretty clear, huh? Yeah? He's not missing his words, which is great. And David's response is a full stop response. It is total responsibility for what he has done. I have sinned against the (laughs) Lord, full stop. Now let's take a little moment and let's compare that with that previous king, King Saul. Very similar circumstances. Saul has been given direct instructions of what he is to do, him and his guys. David has got the law, the direct instruction. You are not to sleep with another man's wife, that's adultery. Saul doesn't obey the instructions, David doesn't obey the instructions. Saul also gets sent a prophet to say to him, hang on a minute, I think you're missing something. (laughs) But Saul's response is really quite different because at the bottom, the bottom line is Saul doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong. In fact, he says, but I did obey. (laughs) But it wasn't me. But I thought I did everything right. But he also twice tries to justify, Does anyone ever do that? Do we ever do the I'm really really sorry, God but? Twice he tries to do this. He says, But those animals that you told us to to, to kill. I mean we're only keeping them to sacrifice them to you. You see how how backhanded that is? And he does it twice. And he tries to pacify by saying, But we destroyed everything else, you know? I know I said I'd empty the dishwasher, but I've <laughs> emptied the bins instead. <laughs> the pacifier because he just doesn't really believe it. And even when he gets this final chance, he says, I have sinned. Oh, bit of a confession. I have violated the Lord's command. But I was afraid of the men. They made me do it, basically. But God, they made me do it. And that's the moment that Saul loses his kingship, basically. That's the moment. David doesn't do the but. He takes full responsibility. So let's go on this journey back up. And want, yeah, let's have a bit more of a positive start. So here we are at the bottom. We're going to be working our way back up. David is turned. That's what repentance is. You make that first turn. But you know, it is a journey. And the deeper down the spiral we've gone, the more important it is that we take our time to come back up it and really reflect through it. David couldn't get himself sorted in an hour even. He had to go back on the journey. Forgiveness is instantaneous, but I would probably argue that repentance is a bit of a journey. It takes us time to process how did I get down here in the first time? And it's in the first place and this is part of protecting us so we don't find ourselves back down there again. And David goes on a journey. I mean, the thing is that there's always stuff that goes wrong when we do wrong. There's just always consequences. And the prisoner who repents and comes to Jesus doesn't get let out of prison the next day. He's still going to be in there and he's still going to be working through it. Because there's consequences to our actions. And David's no different. And death really is what he... Not only has he murdered innocent people, but the baby conceived in that first moment of wrong response is now diseased and dying. And he has to walk through that consequence of his actions. And Psalm 51, please do go there. Psalm 51 is like David's external processing of this journey coming back up the spiral staircase. So let's do it together. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. This is the O God, O God, O God. I have turned and the slightest bit of light has shone on me. And I am filthy. I am dirty. I am so disgusting. You can hear that in his voice, can't you? I can hardly bear to look at myself. Wash me clean from my guilt. But this journey is set in the context of his existing relationship with God. David's relationship with God, he knows. What does this even tell us? He knows that God is a God of unfailing love. That means he's experienced that unfailing love of God. He knows God has great compassion. But he also is convinced that God can wash him clean. That God can purify him. This is what David knows of God. And his whole journey is based in that relationship. For I recognize my rebellion. How much responsibility is he taking? 100%. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. This is a journey that took days, not ours. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just. I accept the consequences for what I have done wrong. It's a rare thing, isn't it? But it's a powerful, powerful thing. And then he starts to see some stuff. I think in his journey of repentance back up, he, as the light, think about it, as he comes up the steps, more and more light is being cast on what? The journey he made down. So as we gradually come up towards God, we actually get to see how we ended up here. And he sees, I was born a sinner from my mother's womb, but you desire honesty from the womb. What he's saying is, we are all, we're all going to struggle with saying no to temptation. It's, it's in us, it's hard not to, but God has given us every piece of wisdom we need to be overcomers right from the beginning. Purify me from my sins. He's still desperate to be clean again. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He literally understands better. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me, but let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. So now he starts to long for the future. He starts to long for what he lost. And that's the other thing. As the light is shed, we get to see our perspective comes back, doesn't it? And we start to remember what it was like when we weren't distanced from God, when we hadn't created all these barriers of wrongdoing. And we remember how sweet it was, how joyful it was, how good it was. And we start to long, create in me a clean heart, renew a loyal spirit within me, oh God. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's remembering that he has had these things, God's presence and God's Holy Spirit, and he's desperate for them again. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. And now in verse 13, we see this beautiful turning point because as he's been coming up the staircase, he's been doing lots of processing of just how disgusting he has been. There's this real sense of being in the muck with David, isn't it? And then he comes up and he's remembering who he was and he knows where to go and now he starts to see purpose and he starts to see future he can see a point not going back to where he was but taking this journey and actually there's purpose to it he says i'm going to teach your ways to rebels and they're going to return to you because i too have done this terrible thing, I can now communicate with guys and, and girls, maybe who have, maybe you should stay away from girls for a while, um, who have done terrible things. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to really, I'm going to understand this journey and I'm going go to help them. Forgive me for shedding blood. And he talks about, I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. See, he's experienced a level <coughs> and a depth of forgiveness and he's going to do something with it. And seal my lips, O oh Lord, that I may praise you. And amazingly, as if it isn't good enough of God to forgive us, if it isn't good enough of God to actually take our dirty journeys and make them something that can be used for good, for purpose, he actually, I believe, gives David some deeper knowledge and understanding. In this moment, he says, David, I, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. Now back with Saul... We see Saul going, well, how do you burn offerings? In fact, we only, we only kept the animals for your burnt offerings. David gets a whole new level of revelation. He says, you don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You'll not reject a broken and a repentant heart. And this new information that we get when we get to the, the journey, when, we, when we're prepared to really go through it, to process it out, Think about what David did was he wrote a poem, basically. He wrote a piece of creative writing in order to take him through. How helpful was that to him? How helpful would that be to us? I don't know if you've ever done that. I remember once, it wasn't necessarily a journey of repentance, but it was a journey of looking back through a circumstance where I felt I had been really wronged, and I kind of had been in some ways, but I hadn't always responded very well. Does anyone else respond well to... People doing the wrong. No, we tend to get offended. And this person said to me, I want you to draw the timeline from when you met this person and the thing and how you felt and how you processed it. And I basically said, I want you to draw it like you're on a walking through a landscape. And I have to say, it's one of the most helpful things that I ever did in my life. I had my, it was just stick figures, and it's, it's me, I'm not a big drawer, but and bits and bobs. At one point I drew a washing line with my underwear on it because at one point in that journey I felt like my dirty washing was out for everyone to see and we felt very vulnerable and embarrassed. But even drawing that and realising that's how I felt was hugely helpful and seeing when God came in and drawing big rainbow bolts of lightning or something in it just made me realise how God had intervened and how he'd helped me. And that's really what David is doing here. He's creatively processing and it's hugely helpful to him. So as we close, Paul, got it, he gets this journey. He says in Romans 7:21, I have discovered the principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And then he says in verse 24, Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's who we have that David didn't have. he He had God, and the good news is God did forgive him immediately. But we have Jesus, and what I love about this picture is that Jesus is actually with us all the way through the journey. And when we turn that point and go, Oh God, oh God, oh God up here Jesus is with us to help us walk back up the spiral towards the light to let us learn the lessons that protect us from going back down the same spirals and so can I pray for us Jesus we're so grateful to you and those of us in this room who have had the privilege of years of getting to know you and getting to know how kind you are How you're always ready to cheer us up and cheer us on, how you are quick to forgive us, quick to be compassionate. We can hand on heart testify to how good you really are because we know that being trapped at the bottom of the darkness of our own making is a horrible place to be and it is a place where we lose perspective. We're, we're really deceived and we know that you send us people to try and help us to see but often in our deception we just defend, defend, defend that's the pride Lord but we love that you you literally went to the cross and died and rose again in gloriousness to set us free from the pits and of our own making. And more than that, you send us stories and help to warn us, Lord, please sharpen our senses, our spiritual senses, so that we catch these warnings quicker so we won't go down the first step in the first place. And help us, Lord, clear out our ears with cotton buds Wash our eyes out with eye drops, Lord. Just help us so that we see <coughs> the temptations and we're quick to walk away from them. And I know that some of us here in this room are experiencing the bottom of the pit, or maybe we're just halfway down. And I know it because right now we're feeling conviction, and conviction's a horribly uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> It squirms in our seats and it's there in our bellies and it just, we just feel bad about something. Mulls, it plagues us like it plagued David. But right now, you offer us the same opportunity. All we have to do, without any buts, taking full responsibility is say, oh Lord, I've done wrong. Please forgive me. And then take his hand and just let yourself start to walk back up the staircase. Start to walk back up to the light, to freedom. And every single one of these journeys is the promise of freedom. Freedom from our temptations. Freedom from the things that would drag us away. And that's what you're after, Lord. That's what you died for. You died for our freedom from sin. And so we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord. Amen.